0: Hey, this is Brennan, Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I, I had a change of plans today. Uh, originally, I was set, I was fixing to, to preach another message on Revelation, and we've been enjoying our journey through this incredible book and doing the deep dive, but I felt the Lord call an audible This week, Um, not an audible in that I audibly heard his voice. I've never audibly heard his voice. I know some people have. Uh, But an audible, the football term. We're going to change plays here and we're going to do something a little different. And I felt... Um, even though as we have enjoyed diving deep into the book of Revelation, have you enjoyed like, like diving in and not doing the flyover, but we're taking our time and we're going verse by verse and we're doing the deep dive? Do you appreciate that? I've been loving doing that deep dive. We love the word. I'm glad that I have four people who are appreciating the, the year-and-a-half-long journey that we have been taking through Revelation. That makes your pastor feel real good. Awesome. No, we have been enjoying the deep dive. It's been awesome to just to, to dive right down into the meat of it and to find the revelation of Christ and to see him from different angles with different aspects, to see the messages and hear the messages to the church and to hear about the great uh, redemption plan of the Lamb and to hear about how tribulation is going to run its course and God is calling all people back to himself and he's restoring all things. It's been awesome to hear about that. It's been awesome to hear the challenge to the witnesses, us, the church, and how we are called to remain faithful and it's been a heavy message a lot of the time it's been it's been it's been weighty hasn't it like even last week we talked about the fact that the, the central message to the church in the book of revelation is stay faithful to the end even if it costs you your life because you will receive a crown but that's a hard message isn't it that first part of that message is hard wait what stay stay faithful even to death can we just like skip that part? Like it's been a heavy. There's been some heavy truth. How many know that truth is heavy? That the truth is weighty and, and it's not adjusting itself as much as modern modern mainstream culture would want to tell you that truth is malleable and it'll adjust around your whims and wishes. It will not. And truth will set itself down upon you, and it will move everything out of its way. And we have been into the depths of the truth. But I've felt the Lord speak to me that it's important, even though what we've been talking about is 100% true, it's not the whole picture. And that even though as Christians we are called to follow Jesus faithfully, even to the end, even if it costs us our very lives, if it costs us relationships and friendships, if we suffer for it, we're still called to follow him, and we will. Amen? Amen? But that's not the whole picture. And it's important sometimes that we, we zoom out. It's important sometimes that we, we take the plane of God's word and we don't just dive in, but we elevate ourselves and we get a kingdom, heavenly, Lord's eye view of things. So today, what I want to do is I want us to just sort of zoom out. I want us to just put our seatbelts on and put our seat backs up and put the little tray up and then put your luggage under. Remember, remember flying? Anybody remember flying? That was fun. But we're going to kind of try to get a macro focus because sometimes, I don't know if you found this in your life, but sometimes my focus can be so micro that it happens at the expense of the bigger picture. You're all looking at me like, only you, Pastor. It's just you. Sometimes my focus is so narrow and so close that I can't actually see, oh yeah, there's much more going on to this than what I'm currently focused on. Has anybody ever just had to take a deep breath before? Anybody have to turn off the news and just like, okay, right? And to kind of rise above it. Have you ever had to do that? Like to zoom out just to get your bearings on the big picture? I had to do that with my Toronto Raptors last week. Watching them just suck. Sitting there in despair on my couch, feeling like, how can I do another day of this? And then the Lord reminded me, son. You were 2019 champions. It was not that long ago. It was not that long ago. You still have Masai Ujiri calling the shots. You've got the best coach in the NBA. It's going to be all right. I had to zoom out and take a deep breath. Sometimes we have to do that in life, though. You ever notice how, like, myopic your view can be? We do that in marriage. Melanie and I have been working through this book, and I hope so many of you have been joining us as we've been looking at our marriages, and we've been talking, we we're talking about conflict this week, and, and how when we are in conflict, we really only have this singular me perspective, and we actually lob from our, our limited point of view things like, well, you always and you never, which isn't the truth, Right? Like whenever you say you always do that, it's not actually true. We, we're stuck in this limited, myopic, narrow, micro focus. It can happen. It happens when we, when we look at social media too much. Have you noticed that? Y'all, this is not a good perspective on the world. huh? Can I give you a pastoral recommendation? Turn this off every so often. There actually is a power button, although it's not as easy to turn off as it used to be. There is a power button. I would recommend getting off social media like quite often. This is not a good perspective, and sometimes it 's too close. this will convince you that everyone 's life is awesome and yours is terrible. This will convince you that the sky is falling and everything is going to hell in a handbasket. If you read the news, it 's all bad news, isn't it? And the, the, the view can be so limited that it actually costs us the, it comes at the expense of the big picture, we can be so myopic in our view. In fact, I think we live in one of the most narrow-minded, close-focused, myopic times of human history. I mean, everybody is buried and burrowed and and, and dug into their own perspective. In fact, now we all have these little silos that we live in that you have got to kind of identify with me and you've got to validate my perspective. And we live in this fractured, fragmented craziness where we lose sight of the big picture. We've been seeing it in COVID. This might ruffle a few feathers, but has anybody had the thought over the last like 14 months that, hey... I know the COVID thing's really bad and really important, but aren't there other important things, too? Have you had that thought? Because we can fixate on what's right here, and we miss the big picture. And I say all that to say this, that we do it as Christians, too. You can actually do that with the gospel. You can overfocus on one aspect at the expense of the full scope of the gospel. And so this is why you'll see legalists. You'll go to some church communities that they're so focused on the truth of the gospel and God's holiness and God's wrath and God's judgment and all of those things are 100 accurate and true. But if that's the full picture, it's going to leave you to a life, lead you to a life of religion. It's going to lead you to a life of being bound up in the doing and not the being a son or a daughter of God. But you see it the other way, and in fact, you see it more the, these days than you than you used to. You don't just see legalism, because of a narrow focus, you also see a lot of license because of a narrow focus. People who take God's grace and they run way in the opposite direction of the truth and they say, it doesn't really matter what I do with my life. They have this, let's say, fair attitude. I'll take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and a little bit of me. It's all good in the hood, right? Or we do it with the promises of God. This is where the prosperity gospel comes from. It it does a read, it does a a close reading of this, and it sees all the promises that God knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us, give us a hope in a future. It it sees the the promises of God's willingness to answer prayer, to, to, to be a miracle worker, to be a divine provider, which he is, by the way. But if you don't Couple that with the big picture of, yeah, but God also calls us to suffer faithfully, and sometimes we don't get the answer we want. My point is this. If we don't sometimes come up for air and try to get the 60,000-foot view on this whole thing, it will lead us to distortion and discouragement. And so today, as we head into Easter week, I want to set us up to look at Easter week as a bit of a perspective moment, to actually reset our perspective that this week as we consider Jesus' journey to the cross, as I preach right now, it is Palm Sunday. It is the day that that we sort of remind ourselves that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and he he marched in there on the back of a colt. And that over those days, it just kind of got crazier and crazier until he was hung on a cross and died. And then on Sunday, we know the end of the story. We know how the story ends. He rose, amen. And we're going to celebrate that next week. But I wonder if we couldn't just consider right now Jesus' journey to the cross and glean some perspective on our current situation. Because if we don't zoom out once in a while, you're prone to miss the bigger truth. The truth is that God is greater than you thought he is. He's bigger than you think he is. He's better than you think he is. You're doing better in him than you think you are. And I I, I encourage you today to realize that Jesus wants you to see what he sees in you. He wants you to see what he can see and you cannot see. He wants to help form your perspective so that you aren't subject to a limited earthly view, but you get the full picture. This is what I believe Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about having a, a heavenly view. He's not just talking about how one day when Jesus returns and establishes kingdom and fullness, you're going to see everything perfectly. But he's talking about how to manage that intention in our days where we only see part of the picture. Did you notice that? He says, well, right now we see in part. There's only part of the picture we see. We're not seeing it in its fullness, net, fullness yet. It's not, it's not fully here. It's both now and not yet. It's both here and coming. And he's saying there's this tension that we need to live in. And he says that actually your perspective is ultimately the, the, the number one determinant factor of your maturity. What did he say? He says, I, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But now I've put away childish things. And he's connecting it to this whole idea of what we know in part and then we prophesy in part. What is it to prophesy? Some of you are picturing like Gandalf right now. Don't, don't do that. You're picturing like wizards and Harry Potter and people with wands. That's, that's not, it's not magic. Prophesying is not magic. To prophesy is simply to speak the word of the Lord. It's to insert the word into a space. That's what prophecy is. It's to speak the word of the Lord. And, and what he's saying is, in your life, in the places where you can't see the whole picture. He's saying, you know what, here's what you see. And then there's this whole scope of reality surrounding that. And in that space, you need to learn to insert the word. In the empty spaces, in the unanswered questions, in the, in the wondering and the wandering, you need to learn to insert the word of God, the word of Jesus. And so I thought, you know, maybe it would be a good exercise to take a look for a minute at the journey that Jesus took on Holy Week. And if we only had half of the story, if we were from, say, the perspective of the disciples that week, let's just pretend, let's go in the wayback machine, let's all hop in the wayback machine, and let's go back to to the year 33 in Jerusalem, and let's follow Jesus' journey along with the disciples. I assure you, the disciples did not know how the story was going to end, and their perspective was limited, and they wouldn't have called that week until they knew of the resurrection. They wouldn't have called it Holy Week. They would have called it Hell Week. Their perspective would have said, this is terrible. He's going down. He's not who I thought he was. They wouldn't call it Good Friday. They'd call it a terrible day. They wouldn't call it the Passion of the Christ. They'd call it, that's the day Jesus of Nazareth died. But we know the full story. And so I wonder what we can learn if we think for just a minute. And if we could learn to to take the story of Jesus... And insert it into the blank places and the blank spaces of our lives. Because we also have our moments and we have our journey where we only see part of the picture. You're only seeing the battle. But what if we talk about Jesus' victory and we fill in the whole thing? And so I was thinking about it this week. And I have a few just very, very quick admonitions and prophetic declarations. And these are things that if you follow Jesus, you've heard before. But I think we needed a reminder and so I'm going to ask you to help me in just a minute. You're going to, you're going to say these things and declare these things with me. But what, what, do we, what do we see in Holy Week? Well, the first thing, let's just, let's just remind ourselves of Jesus' journey. We're told that, that he, he went into Jerusalem riding on the back of a, a colt. Now, why is that significant? Well, it, it's significant because when a king would come into Jerusalem, a ruler would come into Jerusalem, they wouldn't ride on a colt, they'd ride on a white horse. And right from the beginning, the disciples had to be thinking, wow, this this isn't really looking like victory to me. This isn't really looking like dominance to me. But okay, Jesus will go with it. But as the days went by, Jesus began to do more and more strange things. That that, that there was more and more disparity between the victory that Jesus was promising and what they were witnessing him doing. So, So that's why they were so confused when they were in the upper room. And Jesus puts a towel around his waist and gets down on his knees and begins to wash their nasty feet. Because in their minds, Jesus, this is your moment to go up. Here we are at Jerusalem, and it looks like you're going low. What are you doing? Why are you washing feet? And then they watched him go lower and lower as the week went on. Do you remember how the story went? I mean, he washed their feet. He did some ministry, and then all of a sudden, people started to revolt against him and push back against him. And then all the way till Good Friday when he was betrayed, and then he's turned over to the authorities. And you picture Jesus being stripped naked and being beaten within an inch of his life. And you picture the crowds hurling insults at him and spitting on him. I mean, what a lowly moment, right? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, broken, beaten, humiliated. What a picture. What a contrast. You see, that's just part of the picture. We saw Jesus being brought low. I mean, you think of that moment, Jesus hanging on the cross and he cries out, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know in that moment, there's never been a, more lower, a lower human being? Utterly abandoned, utterly shamed, utterly condemned, utterly secluded, utterly trapped, and there he is crying out to God with no answer. I mean, talk about going low, but that's only part of the picture, isn't it? We know that as he went low, what happened? Saturday comes, nothing. Sunday, the tomb is empty, and we find Jesus rises again. And I want to just point this out to you, that Jesus has been exalted to the highest place because he went to the lowest place. God actually raised Jesus higher than any other because he went lower than any other. And now if you only had heart, had part of the picture and you wouldn't see how high Jesus was risen you would have thought well that was a failure he had all this momentum he had the big crowds and then all of a sudden they turned on him and then we see him hanging on the cross and dying alone but that's not the story. The story is this, and here's the first point, and I want you to help me with this. or take a, let's, let's, let's actually read this. This is what Paul was. where is it, Philippians. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here's what I want you to look at. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Say this out loud with me, all of our locations. He, what? He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He went to the lowliest place. Now watch this. Then Paul says, therefore, therefore God exalted him to the what? The highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Let's acknowledge Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Don't miss the big picture. When everything seems to be going down, when you seem to be being brought low, when we are brought the lowest, God's promotion is the highest. So some of you, look, you might be in the loneliest, lowliest place of your life. You are in perfect position for God to prosper and promote you. If you are finding yourself being brought low, don't miss the big picture. Heavenly heights are happening. And I need you to recognize this that that humility on earth looks like glory in heaven, it's an inversion. Glory in heaven looks like humility on earth. And so, if we only had half the picture, we would think Jesus is the most humiliated person that has ever lived. But if we have the whole picture, if we have the heavenly picture, we realize there has never been anything more glorious than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Creator of heaven and earth, stooping so low that He wouldn't just wash our feet, but He would wash away our sins by His own blood. That is the most incredible, glorious thing that is imaginable. But we've got to see the whole picture. Humility on earth looks like glory in heaven. This is why Jesus was so confusing to people when he'd say, No, 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 the last are first. Wait, what? The last are first and the first will be last. The greatest are least and the least are greatest. Why? why? What's he talking about? He's, this is the reality. In heaven, glory is humility. And if you find yourself being brought low, realize this that every act of humility on earth is glory in heaven. And this is all the promises. Just so think about this. Every time you forgive someone, it's glory in heaven, even though it feels like you're losing. Every time you serve someone, every time you swallow your pride, every time you bite your tongue, every time you go the second and third and fourth mile, it's glory in heaven. And it might feel in this picture on earth that you are going low, but we prophesy in the other part and we realize, but as I follow Jesus the same way that he was exalted to the high place, I am going to follow after him and he is going to raise me up. And this is what the Bible tells us. It promises us, it says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. God opposes the proud, but humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I just want to remind somebody, because some of you are thinking, you know what? My life doesn't seem substantial. It doesn't seem significant. Maybe it's not in the world's eye view, but in the Lord's eye view, every act of humility, every act of selflessness is creating for you glory in heaven. There's this scene in uh, the book, one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis, called The Great Divorce. Has anybody ever read The Great Divorce? It's a wonderful little book. It's probably my favorite just to read of his. It's easy reading. It's a little allegory about a guy who journeyed to heaven. And he gets this tour of heaven, and he's trying to understand it, and he's getting his bearings. And there's this scene where he's, he's being guided by his guide, and the guy's trying to show him, as they go deeper into the heavens, uh, This this woman comes through the woods, and she's just decked out and beautiful. Like, it's like the nature stopped when she walked through the woods and animals are following her. And there's this big parade and procession. And, the, and the, the main character looks at his guide and he says, is that, is that thinking it's the queen? And the guy says, no, oh, no, no, no. He goes, you wouldn't know who that is. That's Sarah Smith. And he says, she wasn't, much, she wasn't much on earth. In fact, she lived alone. But every person she came in contact with, she lifted up. And every person that came near her, she made made better. And although you never heard of her here, he he says this, this great quote. He says, fame in this country is very different than fame on earth. It's very different. So I want to remind you today of the big picture. If it feels like the thing you are doing is small, realize it's large in God's eye. And it's actually the smaller, lower things that he is most interested in. And if you look, I mean, if we had time to do a bit more of a deep dive, I'm going to keep it sixty thousand foot view. But if you look at every person that God used mightily, at all the examples, God's eye is on the lowly. It tells us that the Spirit is searching the earth, looking for him who he can encourage. He's trying to find us in our humble space. So if you find yourself being pressed down, God is about to raise you up. Let me prophesy. Let me speak the word over you. If you find yourself being pulled back in this life, God will set you loose. He's doing something. So if you find yourself being humbled, promotion is in your future. Promotion is in your future. Let's say it together. I want you to read the yellow part with me. Every All of our locations, come on west, Halifax. So when we are being brought lowest, say it out loud, God's... Yeah, yeah. Here's another thought I think about when I think about Holy Week. Let's not miss the big picture. When it seems like everything is against you, everyone is against you, when opposition is the strongest, God's victory is nearest. When when, when opposition is the strongest, God's victory is the nearest. I mean, you think of Jesus's journey to the cross. I mean, three years of ministry, and he changed everything, and at first, it seemed like this was going real nice, like he's healing people, huge crowds following him. I mean, he couldn't keep his fame secret. But then as he got closer to the cross, as he entered Jerusalem, and he, the, t- the Bible tells us he wept because he knew as a, what was about to go down, his heart breaking for those people that he was about to go and die for, we find not after Palm Sunday a warm welcome. But that warm welcome quickly turned into opposition. The people turned against him. The religious leaders had already turned against him. The powers and principalities were set against him. And even Rome, the empire, was turned against him. And we find Jesus being attacked, being brutalized, being accused, being pushed around, being hurt. After three years of ministry, he walks into Jerusalem and they beat him and hurl insults on him and accuse him. And the Bible says he actually said nothing. Read that the other day and I was just floored by it. Like what strength to look at lowly people. You're God of the universe, and you have you're standing in front of Pontius Pilate who says, Do you know the power I have over you? Please. Wouldn't that, that rise up in you? Not Jesus. It's real authority. It's real authority. He's about to make the biggest statement. He didn't say anything because he was about to make the ultimate statement. He was about to actually get the victory. He was actually about to overthrow the powers and principalities of darkness and give us the victory. And I say all that to tell you, some of you are in a season of opposition. You might be in a time of opposition. You know what I've found? I haven't always done this right, and I haven't always won all my battles. The Lord's never lost, but Brent sure has. But I have learned when I'm about to, the times where I've stepped into big ground, where I've taken big ground or where the Lord has led me into a new space, those times are always preceded by just a firefight of opposition. Has anybody ever noticed that in life? Like right before the thing that God wants to give you, right before the promotion, right before the victory, right before the increase, there's actually, there's always like a guardian at the gate. There's always things that come against me, and I've seen that. I've seen it in my own life. I saw it in my own call to ministry. The devil absolutely unleashed hell on me for the first couple of years when I was in Bible college deciding whether or not I was going to do this. When opposition is strongest, victory is nearest. I've seen it, I've seen it in sermons. I can tell you when it's going to be a, 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 real, a real big, big weekend, and God has given me a word that's going to shake the powers of principalities. I, I, it, happen, it happens to me all week. We've seen it in our marriage. We've seen it even just recently. Melanie and I are preparing to do this marriage series. Like it's it's ironic. It's funny. It's uncanny even that the days going into this marriage marriage series, Melanie and I were fighting like crazy. We fight too. Don't judge us. I love her though. fighting makes us better. Tune in tonight. You're gonna to find out about it. But we've seen it. And here's what I've learned though: when I can see the attack, it means breakthrough. It means victories near. So I just want to encourage someone today with that. You're getting closer. Like if the enemy is pushing back, realize you're getting closer. We've seen that at King's Church. When we, lost, when we launched West Side, there was like nasty news articles in, p- printed in the paper about us, this intolerant group of people. It was interesting. Intolerance was fighting us because we are so intolerant. Ironic. We're well, not going to tolerate those intolerant people. <laughs> what? Wait, What? The world's nuts, just by the way. (laughs) Do you see, like, the anti-racists right now are like purporting that we segregate? Wait, what? You're gonna fight racism with segregate anyway? That's that's gonna—I'm not gonna get canceled for a couple more weeks. I got a series coming up that's gonna get me canceled, and (laughs) (laughs) that's—we'll save it. We'll save it. But here's the point: learn this. If there's opposition, then it's probably an indicator that you're in the right position. Hey, if there's opposition, you're probably in the right position. That rhymes. Let me think of another rhyme. If, if you're under attack, you're on the right. Hey, there you go. If you never get any pushback, it means you're just walking with the devil, not against him. If you have opposition, you are actually getting somewhere the devil doesn't want you to get. Does the devil know your name? If there's pushback, don't be discouraged. That's only part of the picture. It's like when Elisha had to ask God to open his servant's eyes to see that there are more around them than we're surrounding them. Like there's, there's more to the picture here. Victory is close. The devil is throwing everything he can at you, but Jesus already won the victory, and he shares us the victory. I love this scripture. Paul says, Jesus gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been handed it. I know it might not feel like it, but we already know Jesus won, and he's given us the victory. Therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, King's Church, stand firm. Someone needs to hear that today because you're wobbling. You think, is something wrong? Shouldn't this be easier? No, it shouldn't. Victory is close. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's never in vain. So let me prophesy to you for a moment. Don't miss the big picture. Victory is in your future. New territory is in your future. The devil doesn't give it up easy, but he has to give it up. God has given us all authority. Jesus has all authority. There is victory in your future. Here's here's another thought. I'm almost done. Are we starting to get the bigger picture? Yeah? Don't miss the big picture when evil comes against you. What the enemy means for evil, God will use for good. Let's say it together, all of our locations. What the enemy means for evil, say it out loud. God will use for good. good. Specifically, the key word in here is what? What's the thing coming against you? What is the very thing, the very evil thing that is coming against you? Like Bradford said a couple weeks ago, God doesn't actually take those things away. He actually redeems those things. He actually uses the very thing that's coming against you for his glory and for your good. That's how glorious and capable and able God is. He will turn the very thing used against you into the the very place of victory. The very place of defeat is going to now become the place of victory. That's actually at the heart of the gospel. That's what you see on the cross. When it looked like a death, it was actually giving way to life. When it looked like the kingdom was being destructed, it was actually being established. When it looked like Jesus was being bound to a cross, freedom was actually being released. The cross looks like a tool of destruction, but it was actually the ultimate tool of construction. God will use the very thing that's coming against you to use it for you, for your good. This is what Paul was saying in Romans 8.28. He says, For we know that God causes all things to come together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God causes all things to come together. This is what the cross is. The cross is a turning point, if nothing else, isn't it? Isn't it the place? Like you think about, Paul talks about Jesus disarming the rulers and authorities. Like this weapon of attack that was used against him. Jesus actually like did this ultimate spiritual jiu move and like flipped it over. You see that? I see a meme in my future. No, he took, he took the very thing, like the devil plotting, I'm going to get him with accusation, I'm going to get him with sin, I'm going to get him murdered on a cross. And Jesus took the very thing that was used against him and he used it for his victory, for his glory. And so I tell you that, that you would realize today that shame might be coming against you, but God will actually turn your shame into glory. It's the very thing. Accusation might become against you, but through the cross, it means vindication. Through the cross, Jesus turns weakness into strength, humiliation into exaltation, beating into healing, mocking into crowning, death into life. That's what the cross does. Don't lose sight of the big picture. The very thing you might be complaining about, God might be wanting to use for his glory and for your good. Trust him in it. See the big picture. Recognize it. Recognize that God is a redeemer. God turns things. He turns things over. Like, he's better than just taking away your story. He'll use it. Isn't that incredible? Like, that's how much of a flex God, God's doing here. It's like, no, no, I can work with this. It's like, you were an addict, Adam? I can work with that. Right? Brent, you're a stubborn kid. I can work with that. Right? He did it with Paul. When you think about the Apostle Paul, the most brutal accuser, the most violent accuser of the brethren turned into the biggest ambassador. Because God will use the very thing that the devil meant for evil. He will turn it into good. I saw a cool post there a couple weeks ago said that the Apostle Paul walked into heaven to the applause of people he saw martyred. That's redemption. That's redemption. That's how the kingdom works. God actually wants to take the very thing and flip it and turn it over for your good. We've seen that. We've seen that in our own story. We saw it in the King's Church story in 2012. I'll never forget the day where our church was under unbelievable attack. And it looked like it was a devastating blow from the enemy. And I'll never forget the day. My friend, Pastor Dave McElhaney, came here at a prayer night, took the mic, and he said, the devil will regret the day he did this. I bet he does. Because God will take the thing that looks like shame and he will turn it into glory. He will take you from the lowly place and he will put you high upon the rock. That's what he does. We've seen it. We've seen it too many times. So look, some of you need to zoom out right now because all you can see is the opposition. Realize right now, like zoom out. It's like victory's coming and God is so good that he's actually gonna use the very thing that is my thorn in the flesh, the very thing that is debilitating my life and the very thing that I'm complaining about, I'm gonna turn it over to God and God is gonna cause that thing to come into good in Jesus' name. We, we prophesy in part. Let me prophesy that over you. He will turn the weapon against you into a tool that is for you. Isn't that awesome? It says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Not just conquerors. More than conquerors means we took the enemy that was working against us, and they're now working for us. Dominance. The place of defeat will be a place of victory. The lack that you experience, the place of lack is going to become your place of blessing. That's what it means for streams in the wasteland. God actually wants to take the very place where you lack. He's going to turn that into the place of blessing. That's how he rolls. That's how he works. Your tragedy will become your triumph as you trust him. Here's my final thought. I'm going to invite the bands to come back, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to declare this together. This is the ultimate message of Easter. And I want this to be in full view this week. As you consider Jesus' journey to the cross, as you consider him dying for your sins, as you consider him going to the grave, don't lose sight of the big picture. This is not just about a death, this is about a death and a resurrection, which means the death of death. Jesus actually made a way where there is no way. Here's the big picture. Some of you need to hear this. You feel like you're at a dead end. Don't miss the big picture. When it seems like a dead end, when it's all dead ends, when it seems like there is no way, what? God? Oh, oof. Let's, let's declare that so the walls and, the, and the, the enemy hears it. Come on, all of our locations. When it seems there is no way, God will make Oh, one more time. I feel something moving. When it seems there is no way, what? God will make, he will make a way for you. Your blockage, your barrier, your death is not too big for him. Your sin, your debt, your regret is not too big for him. What is a dead end to you is a highway to him. It's not hard for him. He can do it. He did it for himself. He can do it for you. He made a way where there is no way. Jesus unended all of the ultimate ends. He unended all of the ultimate ends. He unended death. He unended your sin. He, he, he nailed it to the cross and he began a work of righteousness for you. New beginnings, new beginnings, a new way. Think about that moment where Jesus cried out, it is finished, it is finished. And they watched him breathe his last and they watched him. I mean, think of the picture the disciples had. They watched as they took his, they, they checked his body. The Bible says they took a spear and they put it in his side and water and blood came out, which is the universal sign of he's dead. And they watched him as they took him off the cross and they wrapped his body up and they carried his dead, lifeless body to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And they watched as they rolled a, a, a huge stone in front of it sealed it and they watched not only did they seal it by stone but they sealed it by empire the roman empire put a guard there not a guard a roman guard like 16 dudes standing there who would lose their life if they even fell asleep i mean that looks like a dead end to the disciples doesn't it Isn't that picture? I mean, what's that picture? That's why they were terrified. That's why they were hiding. That's why they were freaked out. That's why they were discouraged and despaired because it looked like it was over, but it wasn't over, was it? It wasn't over, was it? Friday came, Jesus died. Saturday came, it was, it was Black Saturday. Nothing happened. They sat in that space. And then we find early Sunday morning that, that closed door is now open. That dead end has now been broken through. That loss has turned into gain. That death has become life. The one who died has now risen. The one who was conquered now conquers. The one who lost is now standing in victory. Jesus made a way where there is no way. I don't know who needs to hear that today. You think your situation is hopeless. Jesus made a way over sin. Jesus made a way over shame. Jesus made a way over the devil. The devil does not, victory. he's not victorious over you. Jesus is king. Get the full view, zoom out for a minute, remind yourself, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, sin is not. Oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, cancer is not. Oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, my fear is not. Jesus still sits on the throne, COVID does not. Jesus still sits on the throne, the economy does not. Jesus still sits on the throne, the newsfeed does not. Come on somebody, Jesus will make a way where there is no way. Who needs that today? Because some of you are facing impossible ends, some of you you are facing a death, a, a death diagnosis, even. And you might even die. But not even death is an end for Jesus. And so today we breathe in, we remind ourselves: Jesus is Lord. There is no dead end for Him. No one is too lost. No one is too far gone. Nothing is beyond his reach. He can hear you. He sees you. He can reach you as you trust him. What you There's what you see, and then the big picture is this. Jesus is Lord. God is good. He is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He is a help in times of trouble. He was a comforter. He is the bread of life. He is the hope of salvation. He is the light of the world. He is peace that passes all understanding. He is the promise of a hope and a future. He is my hope. He is the everlasting God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. There is no one beside him. There is none like him. He is the one who is and was and is to come, who holds the keys of death and hell. That is our Jesus. He stands in triumph. He stands in victory. He has won the battle. He shares the victory. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. Take heart today. So Father, we thank you for the big view. We thank you for the big picture. We thank you today, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so there is what we see. And Lord, that we see some scary things. We see some heavy things. But then, Lord, there is what we don't see. For what we don't see, we prophesy. And we place your victory in that space. We, pray, we place your goodness in that space. Lord, we don't look at our cancer only through the diagnostic and only through the track record. But we look at it on your goodness, on your promise, on your power. And so Father, for every need, for every dead end, for every lack, for every fear, for every battle that our church is facing, Lord, I pray right now by the power of your spirit, would you open the minds, of open our minds, Lord. Show us that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. Show us, Lord, show us right now to help us fix our eyes on what is unseen not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal, Lord. Lord, help us to set our minds on things above right now, Lord. Renew our minds, transform our lives because of a changed perspective. So, Father, I speak hope over your church today. I speak confidence over your church today. Father, I speak gratitude as we consider your journey to the cross, that you such love that you would lay your life down for us, that you would share your victory with us. I pray your encouragement, your peace, your hope, your joy, your life, your goodness for every person in every situation in Jesus' name and all God's people said. All God's people said. Come on, if you know he's good, give him a praise.